This part of the program, we're talking with Erica George. She is Samuel D. Thurman Professor of Law at the uh, College of Law at University of uh, Utah. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Um, so you do uh, you do uh, some work in human rights, right? Especially with corporations, but I'm sure governments uh, as well. So I wonder just your your reaction in general to this idea, the policy of uh, separating families at the, at the border. Um, absolutely, and I do have strong opinions of the, about it, and actually observations connected to international human rights law. Prior to becoming a professor, I was a lawyer with Human Rights Watch, where I worked in their children's rights division, um, so specifically focused on the conditions of children and the state obligations to protect children. And um, there are several issues at stake on our southern border. Um, one is the International Convention on Refugee Law, um, which we're a party to. And this is a convention that came into being after World War II when people were unable to effectively flee persecution in Europe. And our sense as an international community is that we had to recognize that human dignity is the same everywhere, whether you're in Milwaukee or Mogadishu. And there has to be the opportunity to flee persecution. Um, so a refugee is somebody under international law that's seeking refuge um, in a different country. And we have to accept those refugees regardless of race, religion, nationality. Really the only circumstance in which we can restrict people who meet the definition of a refugee is if they've committed serious war crimes or serious crimes or crimes against humanity. So um, that really calls into questions the images we see of very young children who couldn't possibly be implicated in the kinds of atrocities that would necessarily exclude someone from seeking status. Um, and then there are people who enter our borders as migrants, not seeking refugee status. Even they have protections under international law. But what's particular and unique to children is the recognition that they have rights. Um, there's an international convention on the rights of the child. We aren't a party to that convention. That means the United States hasn't ratified it, but we have signed it. So we really shouldn't be doing things that are contrary to what the rights and needs of a children, child are. Um, and these conventions recognize the family as a fundamental unit of society, and children have a right to be in one. So to strip them from what they know, their parents, their family, um, really flies in the face of what is a core international obligation. Uh, what are the differences in rights between someone seeking asylum and, uh, and someone uh, illegally entering the country, you know, a quote-unquote regular uh, immigrant? Yeah, um, so... Even regular immigrants, well, we all have rights. I mean, whether we change what side of a border we are on, um, we have rights. What alters is the responsibility of the receiving country with respect to us. So when we're speaking about someone who is a refugee, um, we are not to return them to a place where they'd be in danger. Um, and we work towards regularizing, regularizing their status. Um, that's universal. Countries do have discretion to um, regulate their migration, and even where that is the case, they should not be doing so in a way that's discriminatory um, based on race and religion, though we have had a history of that in this country. Um, we've got laws that have tried to rectify that, but um, we have previously practiced discrimination and admission to the country, and um, 
based on present actions, we appear to be returning to that. Um, this is, again, contrary to what our obligations are in the international community and under international law. Um, though of late, I understand that we are retreating from some of our human rights council participation and other involvement. So um, it seems consistent with that, um, mm-hmm. but it's really a sharp variance with what our expectations and obligations are. I was going to ask you uh, what do you th- a couple things with the UN the UN uh, human rights chief I'm not sure his exact title uh, he condemned um, US action Yes uh, Well yes he did because it is a violation of international law to strip children from their families and to not recognize and respect people seeking refugee status so um we are clearly in the wrong and he would be right to condemn us. Um, what we have done is pull out of an institution within the United Nations called the Human Rights Council. Um, that's a 47-nation body, um, and we have traditionally been a leader on that body. Um, and our retreat from leadership is concerning. One of the things that that body does is issue res- resolutions Another that it does is have special procedures that look at specific issues. Um, There was a special procedures mandate holder in the United States recently, the rapporteur who deals with issues of extreme poverty, who's expected to release a report later this week. I think it's really unfortunate that our country will not be there to receive that report and hear it. Um, So what that body does is give countries the opportunity, um, and again, they have the obligation to periodically report on their human rights performance. This is their performance as against the standards that are universally accepted for what countries should be doing to protect, respect, and promote human rights. Um, And all countries go through this. It's not just the United States. It's not just Mexico or Canada. Every nation that's a member state of the United Nations appears before this council. Um, We've held a seat on that council. Seats are by election of the General Assembly and are geographically distributed. Africa gets 13, Asia gets 13. Collectively, the Americas get eight, and Western Europe and Eastern Europe collectively get about 13 as well. So um, our retreat from leadership in that role gives us less of a voice, and you know, frankly, our conduct um, has been inconsistent with what one would hope from a leader on human rights and somebody occupying a seat on the council. Um, so I remain hopeful that the United States, once we return to um, fulfilling our obligations, would again be reelected to a position. Um, but right now we're really standing outside the um, scope of what we've traditionally historically been. It is, seems that uh, one of the arguments that uh, that's being made about this particular council from the U.S. side is that, you know, we, we can't be there if uh, they're admitting countries who have obvious human rights violations on, on the same panel. At the same time, the president seems to, uh, you know, make an argument of moral equivalency. At least human rights is not high on his list, it seems. 
uh, seems to be political well, pressure. Well, that's my fear. Right? That's the signal that it sends to the rest of the world, that human rights is no longer a priority in the United States. We're acting contrary to our obligations under international law, and we're removing ourselves from the very council that's responsible for leading these dialogues. Um, so it's problematic on many levels. It's also disingenuous to say that they're being admitted. These are countries that are being elected. Another way to go about this would be to campaign for those countries that do have sterling human rights records to sit on the council. Um, that said, frankly, there are human rights problems in every country around the world. That's the other thing that's universal about human rights. There is no place where we could go and find no problems. So the point is to address our problems and to do so in a way that's shared and collective so that we can improve the human condition everywhere in the world. Um, this was an aspirational institution. It was put together out of the atrocity and carnage that came from the last world war that we had. Um, we don't want another world war. One of the ways that we avoid that is to create peace and security by acting collectively and with a view towards human rights being the center of that aim. Um, we have um, we've stepped away from the center. And it's deeply concerning. This seems to be a, a perhaps a conflict between what the administration wants to do. They want to secure the borders. They want to uh, they want to go to zero tolerance to uh, to really make sure that they do that. Um, and then on the other side, you have you know human rights, international rights. Uh, maybe a, a, a conflict there. I wonder if you could talk to. Um, if President Trump follows through on the recent news, at least as of this taping, that he's planning on signing executive order uh, so that families can be detained together, uh, but he doesn't want catch and release, so-called quote-unquote, you know, where, where the, the practice in the past apparently, um, you know, you'd, uh, uh, a promise to appear and then some of them don't come back and appear. Uh, so families detained together, still under zero tolerance uh, policies, is that okay? You know, it's a marginal improvement. Um, this language of catch and release, look, if you were seeking asylum, seeking asylum is not a crime for which you were to be caught. Um, so I would reframe this conversation um, to that end. And when we talk about human rights, we also have to talk about the corollary of state responsibility. And the responsibility is to respect human dignity. So... Um, it's an improvement. Um, is it adequate? I am not familiar enough with the conditions of detention to know. Um, I know that there are conditions based on reporting that are horrendous. Um, so I don't think people who haven't committed crimes should be in detention. Um, so, so what uh, What should, what, what would a humane in your view, asylum process uh, look like? And how far have we departed from that? What well, would an you asylum like to process is you present yourself, you seek asylum, and then we begin an investigation on whether the grounds for asylum have been met. Right? Not everyone who seeks asylum gets asylum. Not everyone who presents as a refugee um, meets the requirements for refugee status, which are actually quite stringent, um, and do bear in mind the national security and public order um, interests of the receiving state. So um, there are better ways to do this and worse ways to do this. Um, there are global challenges around migration, and interestingly enough, there is to be a dialogue about precisely these issues. I'm not sure that the United States will be there, um, but the United Nations is taking up this 
this issue of migration. Um, again, appreciating that there are more and more people on the move as we have people fleeing persecution and violence, as we have people affected by a changing climate. So the challenges are great. Um, I think what's critical is to have this conversation from a position in which the rights of people affected are central. And that's not able to occur if we're not participating in conversations at the international level in human rights councils and if we are continuing to act um, in contravention to what our obligations are. So um, one of the worst things I think one can do or this nation can do is to vilify and criminalize individuals seeking asylum mm. based on their identity. Um, uh, I'd like to get your comment on the uh, recent ruling by Attorney General Sessions posing new limits on who can get asylum in the U.S. Um, he's, mm -hmm. he's saying that um, the migrants fleeing domestic violence or gang violence will not qualify. Oh, yes. Um, so actually, back when I was a law student, I worked on some of these cases in the early years, interviewing women who were victims of domestic violence who were migrant women. Um, and they were really quite sad because at that time, gender wasn't recognized as a basis for prosecution or grounds for remedy relief. Um, so we would have these women leave our clinic and, and not know their fate. Um, as a law enforcement matter, my understanding is that this will make it more challenging for the enforcement of criminal law and enforcement against domestic violence because it would not be in the interest of someone who's a victim of domestic violence to come forward to work with law enforcement to have an abuser or batterer um, brought to justice. So it's going to put the most vulnerable people even more at risk, um, at least with respect to the domestic violence um, portion of that proposal. Um, what was the other portion? I'm less familiar with uh, the The gang, uh, gang uh, fleeing gang, gang violence. Oh, fleeing gang violence, yes. <laughs> Again, um, the grounds for seeking asylum is a fear of persecution based on certain conditions and grounds. So, um, Again, it seems at variance with policy proposals for promoting law enforcement, which would be um, putting people who are engaged in domestic violence um, out of a position where they're able to commit those crimes. Um, one of the benefits of having people seek asylum is we get information about the conditions from which they are fleeing. We can then cooperate with other law enforcement officials around the globe to help um, eradicate those conditions, to help fight crime. Um, crime does cross borders, and law enforcement efforts would be more effective if they didn't criminalize everyone, including women who are victims of domestic violence or people who are fearing becoming victims of criminal gang activity. I just think that there have to be better, more constructive strategies, and I'm not convinced that um, Sessions' approach would be the most effective one. Um, and I do fear that it will cause harm to victims of crime and potential victims. Finally, just a couple minutes left here in our time. Um, I'm wondering, maybe we could end this on, on um, I was going to say a positive note, not really positive, but, but looking at it from a from different angle, what rights do or should asylum seekers have? And second question, what rights or do, you know, just lay the rights out, should uh, undocumented immigrants have? Okay, well, um, 
The rights that asylum seekers have are not to be returned to a condition of violence. Um, they have the right not to be discriminated against um, based on recognized grounds, their disability status, their age, their sex, their sexuality, or other prohibited grounds of discrimination that we recognize in the United States as a matter of course. Um, so seeking protection, refugees do breach, breach immigration rules on occasion, and certain penalties are prohibited from being placed upon them because of that, such as arbitrarily detaining them or returning them back to risk. There are minimum standards of treatment, um, and that is something that is uncontested as a matter of international law. Um, the migrants' rights international treaties, again, the United States hasn't signed on to those. Um, there are not too many receiving countries that have, which is why the conversation needs to continue. Um, if we take seriously the spirit and purpose of most international law, which recognizes that human dignity deserves protection, then um, we cannot treat people as if they're deprived of everything um, once they cross a border, um, which is a misdemeanor kind of level crime. So um, there are differences in status. Um, people are treated differently based on those statuses. But I would think that we should be treating people with basic common decency. Um, so I'll leave it at that. Um, on a positive note, I do think it's possible for the international community to come together and share strategies for solving problems associated with mass migration. Um, this is not an America alone kind of issue. This is something that we must do together in cooperation with sending countries, with other receiving countries, to better appreciate and understand the push and pull factors of human movement and migration and not make it something that is a life, more life-threatening um, than it is in some contexts and potentially something that um, can be of a benefit to the receiving country and the people we are receiving. We've been talking with Erica George, Samuel D. Thurman, Professor of Law at the S.J. Quinney College of Law at University of Utah. Professor George, thank you so much. Thank you very much.